presenting this month's special series, Focus on Sports Medicine. We're talking to experts in the field about sports and exercise-related injuries and the latest advances in diagnosis, treatment, and prevention to help your patients stay active. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Hot Topics in Allergy, presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Your host is Dr. Katen Sheth, Medical Director of the Lafayette Allergy and Asthma Clinic in Lafayette, Indiana. What external factors encourage the onset of exercise-induced asthma, and how can this specific presentation of asthma be managed? Joining us to discuss exercise-induced asthma is Dr. William Silvers, Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of Colorado School of Medicine in Denver, Colorado, and allergist at the Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Clinic of Colorado. Welcome, Dr. Silvers. Thank you. Well, let's start out with what are some of the characteristics of exercise-induced asthma? Exercise-induced asthma can present to where there's no question that the person is having difficulty breathing with exercise, shortness of breath, coughing. It can be very subtle to where kids in phys ed on recess start running and then just can't keep up, feel some chest discomfort, and they're just not sure what it is. And so it can be potentially very underdiagnosed unless you're tuned into it. So with exercise, and it usually takes about six minutes of a vigorous exercise to trigger what we call mediators, to trigger the chemicals that stimulate the muscles to contract, and we call it exercise-induced bronchoconstriction because the respiratory passages constrict with exercise, and these symptoms come on a few minutes after you finish exercising and are relieved over time or with a bronchodilator. So when you ask me, what does it feel like to have exercise-induced asthma, how do you know? You can know either easily because a person is wheezing and you can hear it, or a person just feels uncomfortable in the chest, having some coughing, some chest tightness, and it can be rather subtle. One of the things you talked about was the six minutes of exercise to get to that point. What are some other ways to maybe diagnose exercise-induced asthma? One can always do a free run outside and see if that reproduces the symptoms. But the best way is whatever activity it is, whatever sport it is, playing basketball, running, biking, cross-country skiing, whatever sport triggers the symptoms is the one that is the best one to test the person with. And how does one test it? You, number one, need to think about the diagnosis. And number two, try a bronchodilator, an inhaler, to see if it prevents the symptoms or to use the bronchodilator when you're having the symptoms to see if it relieves the symptoms of the shortness of breath, coughing, whatever is holding you back. As we think about maybe kids or young adults who have exercise-induced asthma, is it usually isolated or is it part of an underlying asthmatic condition? Do these go hand-in-hand? Can we separate them? It's interesting that you ask that because, you know, the allergy and asthma community is getting together a practice guidelines, practice parameters on exercise-induced asthma, exercise-induced bronchoconstriction. And 90-plus percent of people with asthma will have an exercise-induced component to it. 
maybe even toward 100% of people with asthma, when they exercise, can have exercise-induced bronchospasm. But people without any underlying asthma can also experience exercise-induced bronchospasm because the trigger is that you're losing, as you're breathing fast with exercise, you're losing respiratory heat and water from your airways. So the airways are constricting because of that physical change. So it can happen in people who do not have underlying asthma, as you know. Well, let's get into this pathogenesis a little bit more. You just briefly said, you know, heat exchange or water loss. Tell us more about this. What happens is that people who have no underlying asthma, they don't have any problems when they get around cats or dogs. They don't really have any significant problems with an upper respiratory infection as patients with asthma have a worsening of their asthma when you have that. People who have no underlying asthma may well, with vigorous exercise, especially when they're losing a lot of respiratory heat and water, such as with cold, dry air sports, such as with cross-country skiing, for example, where the airways are losing a lot of heat and water, and that will trigger bronchospasm or bronchoconstriction. And as an example, the best sport for a patient with asthma to do or a person that has exercise-induced bronchoconstriction is, for example, swimming because the water is warm, it's very humid, and so it doesn't trigger your airways to constrict. In contrast, for example, cross-country skiing, where you're going for a long time in cold, dry air, and that can cause more asthma. As an example, even in your elite, highly competitive athletes like the U.S. Olympic team, we've studied the U.S. Olympic team, for example, in the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles, and we found that 11% of the U.S. Olympic athletes in the Summer Olympics had exercise-induced bronchoconstriction, exercise-induced asthma, of which only half had been previously diagnosed. In other words, half of our elite athletes who had exercise-induced asthma had no idea. They just thought they were working at the extreme level of their cardiopulmonary exhaustion, if you will. But in fact, they were having exercise-induced bronchoconstriction in contrast to a sport like cross-country skiing where you can have up to 50% of the competitive athletes having some degree of exercise-induced bronchoconstriction because it's cold, dry air. So you need to pick your sports. And you pick baseball instead of hockey, you know, as an example, because the primary mechanism of exercise-induced bronchoconstriction, and that's what I'll call it, is that of a respiratory heat and water loss, which can be prevented with a bronchodilator or treated with a bronchodilator primarily. But it's a different mechanism of action than the cat-induced asthma, pollen-induced asthma, or uh, infection-onset asthma. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Hot Topics in Allergy from ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Caton Sheff, and joining me to discuss exercise-induced asthma is Dr. William Silvers, clinical professor of medicine at the University of Colorado School of Medicine in Denver, Colorado, and allergist at the Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Clinic of Colorado. Well, Dr. Silvers, are there some other unusual things that exercise can do besides this bronchoconstriction? 
Well, actually, it's interesting that exercise can cause in the patient who has underlying allergies, and even in the patient who doesn't even know that they have any underlying allergies, it can cause certain allergic reactivities such as hives, what we call urticaria, exercise-induced urticaria, which is instead of the usual large coalescent urticaria that one sees with food allergy as an example, you have this small punctate itchy miliary hives that are caused by exercise. And the same thing goes for a cold-induced urticaria. And this can be prevented or treated with antihistamines. Exercise can cause anaphylaxis, a generalized systemic allergic emergency. And it can cause this when you have a predisposing food, something even as innocuous as celery, for example, which does not cause any problems of itself, shrimp, etc. But when you have the food plus exercise, then that's what can trigger an exercise-induced anaphylaxis, a generalized allergic emergency. Exercise can even cause nasal difficulties. We have a lot of people, especially when they're exercising outdoors, bikers, runners, especially in cold air, will have a primarily runny nose, But even uh, when people are exercising indoors, you can have nasal congestion and some runny nose because of exercise. So exercise can cause certain allergic reactivity that one wouldn't necessarily think about otherwise. As you think about this exercise-induced anaphylaxis, is there a time frame between when they eat these foods, and you mentioned shrimp and celery is the most common, and when they exercise, or is it they just any time they eat it? It's very interesting in that there's not necessarily a time frame. We tend to advise people who have an exercise-induced anaphylaxis not to eat suspicious foods for four hours before. However, the initial case that was reported just in 1979-1980, this whole syndrome was recognized, and it was a pulmonary fellow at the University of Colorado, actually, who was a marathon runner. He had a syncopal episode with itching, hives, shortness of breath, throat tightness on several runs. And it turned out, after doing some skin testing to see if there were any environmental allergens or any food antigens involved, that he was positive to shrimp. And on one occasion, he had had shrimp three hours beforehand. And on another occasion, he had had shrimp the previous day. So it may be that there's even a food protein that causes some sort of an immune problem that can be in a previous state. So the history itself may not give the diagnosis, but one may have to see an allergist and, uh, and have a workup, including skin testing, to see if there are any triggers causing it. Do patients believe you when you tell them it's the celery they ate an hour before they went running? When they see the skin testing, it's not just an hour before you go running. One of the first descriptions was in an elderly woman who would either take a walk before dinner, and when she took a walk before dinner and had celery with dinner, she'd have anaphylaxis. And then when she had celery with dinner and took a walk after dinner, she would have anaphylaxis, a seemingly innocuous food as celery. So the diagnostic workup, it can be challenging, the whole presentation. And we now know that this is a real phenomenon. So to be alert that exercise can cause allergic reactivities, not just exercise-induced bronchoconstriction, exercise-induced asthma, but it can cause other allergies, including hives, nasal difficulties, and up to anaphylaxis. 
let's come back to exercise-induced bronchospasm or exercise-induced asthma. What's really the best way to manage it? The best way to manage it is, number one, to recognize that one has it. And then number two, to most everybody will respond to a simple bronchodilator, prescription bronchodilator, albuterol as one. If that makes you too tremulous, too shaky, then we have an option of giving another bronchodilator, which is more refined, that doesn't cause that kind of shakiness. So you give it prior to exercise, and then if one breaks through and still has difficulties with exercise-induced bronchospasm, then to give it with the symptoms. So that's the easiest, straightforward way to approach exercise-induced asthma. And our encouragement is that kids, adults, not to shy away from participating in any activity that they wish to, but just to recognize that they may have some problems and to pre-treat and to be ready with an inhaler should they have any difficulties to treat themselves acutely or, as we say, rescue therapy. To moderate the sports that certain people go into if they have severe asthma. As an example, I had taken care of Amy Van Dyken, who's allowed me to use her name, who has the most Olympic gold medals for swimming of any American. And she had severe asthma as a child. Swimming was the only sport that she could do. And she was able to compete to the point of winning uh, and having rather moderate asthma of winning six Olympic gold medals over her career. So one can potentially, instead of going cross-country skiing, go swimming if you have significant difficulties with exercise causing more asthma. So I think that we, as allergists, really encourage our patients to participate fully in all activities, recognizing that if they have difficulties, they should pre-treat and be prepared to treat themselves if they still have any problems with their breathing. And to hold off on exercising when you have viral infections, when you're in very cold air, or potentially if you're very allergic and the pollen counts or the pollution counts are very high, then to moderate or to hold off on exercising in those conditions. I'd like to thank my guest from the University of Colorado School of Medicine, Dr. William Silvers. Dr. Silvers, thank you for being our guest this week on Hot Topics in Allergy. Thank you very much, Keith. You've been listening to Hot Topics in Allergy. This show has been presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. For more information on the ACAAI, please visit acaai.org. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Sports Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.